Hey, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you here and uh, great to finish up uh, looking at the book of Exodus. We've been a bit under four months in this great book and so I'm going to pray that we, we finish well and the, the things that God has shown us will not just be something we leave behind but will uh, go with us into the future and help us to live our life for Jesus. So I'm going to pray that and we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the book of Exodus. We thank you that the, the picture we get of you is not, some, not, not a picture that is always comfortable, but it's challenging, it's big, it's raw, and yet we see a gracious God who loves to forgive, to save. And so Lord, I, I do pray that as we finish up this time in the book of Exodus, that you give us once again a great picture of you, a picture of you that will stir our affections for you so that we would love you more and be the kind of people that you want us to be because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About six or so weeks before my wedding, I remember talking to uh, two different guys within five minutes. Uh, both were married, both were Christian guys, and I, I remember talking to, 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 to them both, and I said, oh, so what changes when you get married? And it was interesting, the first one said, well, not all that much. I mean, you kind of, you, you start living together, you, you know, you share some bank accounts, but, you know, you still do your own thing, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, my, my life hasn't changed all that much. And then I went to the second one, and uh, I, I asked him, I said, you know, I'm getting married six weeks or so, something like that. What is going to change in my life? And he said, everything. Everything. You thought you knew how to live your life. You don't. That's why you're getting married, right? You know? And he said that uh, getting married is like uh, joining the army, right? He goes, you get a new haircut, new wardrobe, and all questions are answered on a need-to-know basis. Everything changes. Now, I want to ask you this question. When you come into a relationship with Jesus... When you come into a relationship with a God that has saved you, what changes? See, for some of us, we go, well, I've got a relationship with God, but really nothing has changed, right? I'm kind of the same person. But then for uh, others of us, we would say, well, everything changes. Everything in my life changes because of my relationship with Jesus. But, But what does the Bible say, or what does the Bible say should happen? So we're going to look at the the last few chapters in the book of Exodus. And and what's really interesting is is that we're going to see a people that have been saved from their own sin. Yes, they've been saved from slavery in Egypt. The the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus talk about that. But just a few chapters before this, we saw them worship a golden calf instead of worshipping the God of the Bible. And the people who are building the tabernacle now have been saved from God's wrath that was poured out on 3,000 people because of that sin of the golden calf. And so how are their lives going to be different? And if you follow the Lord Jesus today, how is your life going to be different because of your, your relationship with him? Is it different well, I'm gonna, I hope to show you that our lives should be radically, radically different. 
We're going to see three things as we think about this change in our lives. We're going to see a changed view of material possessions, a changed view of service, and a changed relationship to God, a changed view of material possessions, changed view of service, changed relationship to God. As I said, we've been looking at the book of Exodus for the past four months-ish, right? And we've seen how God has been a God who hears his people cry, who saves them, a powerful God who says this is how you're meant to live, a God who says, I'm going to forgive you when you mess up. And because they have been saved, they've got now a totally different view of material possessions. I want you to flip back in your Bibles to chapter 35. This is where the kind of, uh, you know, they're building the tabernacle. And in verses 35, 4 to 19, what we see is that there's a bunch of, there's a shopping list of materials needed for the tabernacle. And if you read it, you can go home and read it. This is the best of the best of the best, right? Only the best things are needed for the building of the tabernacle. But where are they going to get this, this stuff from? Well, have a look at verse 20 with me. It says this, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved, then, sorry, and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments, and they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Now have a look at verse 29. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, sorry, for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Did you notice who, where all this stuff, all this precious jewelry and everything comes from, all these precious metals? It's coming from the people of God. But notice, notice their hearts. Did you see in those three verses, 21, 22, and 29, there was that phrase, those who were willing. Verse 21 again, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering. The idea is that, that God has moved in their hearts. They are not doing this out of compulsion. They're not going, okay, well, we've got to do this, so therefore I'm going to, going to give. It's not that God was twisting their arm or Moses was twisting their arm. No, they are willing and they did this because their heart was moved. Once again, you've got to put this in context of the whole book of Exodus. In the last few, probably six months before this, what has happened for these people? They've been sl- slaves in Egypt. They've been rescued from, from slavery. They have been uh, provided for in the desert. God has said, you are going to be my special people. They have heard the voice of God. And, and then, even though they committed idolatry, God was gracious to them. And so, when, when God says, we need this stuff, their hearts are moved. They, have, they see that their salvation is the most precious thing they have. And they give. And they give. See, 
one of the things that, that we've got to realize that all the way through the Bible and all the way through our lives, we see this one, one principle. That the way we view and use our material possessions says what we really love. These guys had hearts and wills that were moved because of what God had done. Uh, I grew up in Moree, and one of the things that a lot of people did, I didn't, but a lot of guys went shooting on the weekend, and uh, guns just terrify me. I I hate guns, so I never went. But I remember one of my mates um, came around one night, knocked on my door. He he knew I'd just come home from, from leading youth group or something like that, and he knocked on my door. He goes, mate, I've got to show you this. And I uh, was okay, what, what, what is it? And he goes, man, it's a spotlight. I was like, oh, great. Okay, I don't want to really see a spotlight. But what was really interesting was uh, the, the street I lived on, uh, Irish Street, from, from where my mum uh, currently lives and we lived uh, to the end of the street was about three, four hundred metres. And at, on that, on the three, three four hundred metres away, there was a, there, there was a um, oval an oval. And on that oval, a lot of the time at night, there were kangaroos. So we're talking about half a kilometre away. And what was interesting was that this spotlight he had could zero in on one single kangaroo half a kilometre away. It was that powerful. And I was blown away by that. What, what I think we see in life is that uh, our money and our possessions are a spotlight which zero in on the things that we actually love. And so here, here we see, because of what God has done, their, their hearts have been moved, their wills have been changed, they were willing, and they gave. Now, now we're going to do a series in a couple of weeks, so we're going to have the celebration service next week, and then we're going to um, have uh, a series on money. But can I just say, it's not really a series on money. I mean, we're, we're, we're calling it something about radical generosity, right? But it's not about money. It's about your heart. Because money follows what your heart loves. Some of us uh, will, some of us love stuff more than anything. The things that we love the things that we like to play with, the things that, that give us joy and we give money towards that. Other, others of us put, uh, you know, maybe our children first and our money follows that. But if we love the Lord Jesus, I think we're going to see in this series that our money follows that. Our money follows our love for the Lord Jesus because of what he's done for us. See, when you realize that you have been saved from an eternity's worth of wrath, when you realize all that Jesus has done for you, your heart's changed and your wallets are converted. And so I wonder, in light of God's generosity towards you and Jesus, have you got a changed view of your material possessions? Because the people in Exodus did. The first Israelites definitely did. Have you been so blown away by what Jesus has done that you want to use your finances and the things that you find precious to glorify Jesus? 
See, because if you, if you come into, if you encounter, you truly encounter the God who has saved you, you'll have a different view of your material possessions. But you'll also have a different view of service. Uh, and let's have a look at that as we read uh, chapter 35, starting at verse 30. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Baalziel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Olihab the son of Ahamask, sorry. Sometimes, even I've got a theological degree and I find these words hard. If you do, we're on the same, same page, right? Of the tribe of Dan with the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiders, in blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled. I, I, find, I find this amazing. Because notice, notice, verse 31, let's have a look at it again. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills. Now, we, we take verse 31, and here's what I'm expecting. He's got the Spirit of God, he's got wisdom, all kinds of skill. What, 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 what would we think that the Spirit of God does? Well, the Spirit of God points to God, absolutely. The Spirit of God does amazing things. The Spirit of God gives you wisdom so you would know God. But here, the Spirit of God gives him skills to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to do all these amazing things, right? I think what, what, what it's saying here is this, that God has given these guys the skills, that, that there is something about how God has worked in these guys' lives to give them the skills to glorify Him. And so it's very, very interesting that, that the Spirit of God here, it doesn't say in the book of Exodus, it falls down on the priests. Yes, it falls down on Moses, but it falls on two guys who are basically tradies to give them great skill. And, it, and if, you, if you read the rest of chapter 36, it talks about how they are skilled. So let's have a look at it, at it with me. So we see every skilled person to the Lord has given skill and ability in, in chapter 36, verse 1. Ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary, uh, to do the work the Lord has commanded. And then what does Moses do? He, he summons every skilled person that God has given the ability and was willing to do the work. So what we see over and over and over again is that God has given them what we, we may see as not really important skills in the, in the work of eternity. But God says, actually, no, these skills are so important that I have inspired them to do this work, Right? It's, the Bible doesn't have this kind of dualistic view of work that says if you are a pastor, if you are preaching the gospel, that is really significant work. And if you are not, well, that's, I mean, it's good work, fair enough, but it's not really the, 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 the real kind of work. 
I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who talked to a mutual friend. And this mutual friend, uh, for various reasons, is no longer in ministry, right? He, he, he was in ministry for a while, and now he's out. And this friend of mine, I said, how's this, this mutual friend of ours going? He goes, oh, he's going well, but he's no longer in ministry. I said, I knew that. And he said, to, he said, well, now my job is to earn as much money as I can to fund ministry. Like, that's all he's doing with his work. And I wanted to ring up my friend and say, hey, man, you've got a very deficient view of your work. Because... All the way through the Bible, God gives skills to people so they can glorify Him in their jobs. But these guys are using their skills to glorify God in the people of God. God has given each of you skills that you can use at church to glorify Him. Now, some of you guys go, well, I'm a doctor. I'm not sure I can do surgery in the middle of church. I get that, but I'm sure God's given you other skills. What skills has God given you, maybe big or small, that, that you can use? I mean, I mean I'll, I'll give you kind of a silly example. We would love people to actually make coffee for us. Now, I don't like coffee because I'm a Christian, but um, I'm joking, if you like your coffee, that's okay. But we need people who would love to actually make coffees for each other or coffees for people at church. If you've got those skills, that's a good thing. God has given you, God might have given you a gift there so you can serve others. But, uh, but even think about your secular work. God has given you those skills to glorify him. See, God is doing different things through different kinds of work, right? You you think about Moses with maybe the gifts of leadership or or, or maybe even the gifts of speaking, even though he didn't think he was a great speaker. I think in the end he was, right? God uses that to lead his people, right? But but he also, God gives uh, these guys gifts to set up the tabernacle so people can worship God. And I wonder why God has given you the skills that you do. See, God is achieving different things through your work that you may not know. Some of you guys are doctors or lawyers or maybe policemen or women or that kind of thing. What are you doing? Well, aren't you, aren't you working in your work in a way that kind of brings order from the disordered, sinful world that we live in? If you're a lawyer, aren't you trying to bring justice or make sure that justice is done? If, you, if you're a policeman or a woman or, or you're in, um, in uh, the army or something like that, aren't you, bringing, aren't you trying to bring about order in this world, in this sinful world, and make sure that justice is done? Or if you're a doctor, we're, we're sick, aren't we, because of the fall, because of sin. And there's a sense in which whether you are you know, doing surgery or working on a tooth decay, that wasn't meant to be part of the created order. And therefore, what are you doing? You are using your skills to bring about some kind of order that Jesus is ultimately going to bring when he comes back. Or maybe you go, well, hands, I'm only an accountant. But aren't you once again helping people organize their money aren't you creating systems and structures to do that so see no matter what your job is god is actually achieving something through it 
that you may not know. Martin Luther said, how does God milk the cows? He does it through people who go out and milk cows. That's how he achieves that. And and so, if you are frustrated in your work, first of all, you've got to realize that God has given you skills and abilities to serve him. But second of all, you've got to figure out how does the outcomes of my job fit in with God's created order and what God is trying to do in, in this world. Because not only is God trying to bring people to know him, that is his ultimate goal, but he's also trying to make sure the world is an orderly place and people are served. And so, how is God working through you to either tend his creation or to actually fight against the effects of the fall? God is doing one of those in all of our jobs. And so one of the things um, I've been saying as we've been looking at the book of Exodus and the topic of idols have come up, I've talked a lot about how work can be an idol, right? And for some of us it is, right? I've been challenged this week uh, to to ask whether my work is an idol and and the brother in Christ who asked me that, I, I just thought he's absolutely wrong and I was a bit annoyed with him. And he said, well, the fact that you're annoyed at this question may show that your work is an idol. And uh, I don't talk to him ever. No, I'm joking, but I've got to, I've got to think about that, right? But, but the thing is, I don't want you to hear that, if you're, uh, that your work could be an idol, that God may not work in your, your work. No, God is working in your work, but you've got to make sure that your work doesn't therefore become an idol. They're two different things. And so maybe one of the things that you're going, I'm not sure how my work can be, but I don't know how I should view it in in the scope of God's creation. I'd love to sit down and chat with you about that. Because I don't want you going nine to five in your job or or however you work and go, oh man, I just got to do a job. I want you to be excited that you can serve God with the skills that he's given you at your work. And I think when you do that, you'll be more joyful in the workplace and more people will go, well, what's different about you? And you can say, actually, I'm working with purpose. And they're going, why? Imagine the conversations that you can have at your work if you have a divine perspective or a changed view of your work. So, see, when, when you encounter God, you have a changed view of service. And finally, you have a changed relationship with God. I'm not sure if, if you've done this in the past week, but I wonder if you've read chapters 35 to 40 of the book of Exodus. I wonder if there's anyone here that, that, that's favorite verses are from these uh, chapters, right? I dare say none of us, because it's all about like building, you know, building the tabernacle and priestly garments and all this kind of stuff. And it's not really exciting reading, right? But, but what is it trying to say? I think it's trying to say a a few things. One, that God is building all this. God is building a tabernacle in the midst or a tent of meeting in in the midst of, of his people to be near his people. And yet, as Kate showed with the kids' talk, that there's barriers to say that even though God wants to be near his people, he is a holy God. But I wonder if you saw in the reading that there's just 
a beautiful picture of God's grace. Have a look at chapter 40 and have a look at verse 12. Here's a beautiful picture of the grace of God in action. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priests. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you uh, anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. Now remember what, Moses, uh, that, what Aaron did. He was the dude that, that when the Israelites pressed him to make a golden calf, he's like, okay, I'll do it, right? And remember what he said a few weeks ago when we looked at it? When Moses goes, hey, dude, what, what did you do? And he's like, oh, man, what I did is they gave me all this gold, I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf, right? And you go, how stupid are you at making such a dumb excuse? And yet here, God in his grace has so so dealt with Aaron's sin that now Aaron is able to serve God as a priest. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I find that super encouraging because Satan has a way of, of, of making me remember all my sin and, and, and saying, hey, hands, because of all this sin, therefore you shouldn't be this. And yet, God is a God who forgives sinful people and puts them in places where they can serve him. And so maybe you're here, you're going, well, hands, I would love to serve God in church, but, but I've just done all this stuff. I'm not the kind of Christian that I want to be. Guess what? God loves to work through forgiven sinful people because we're all that. And so please, if Satan is whispering in your ear and going, hey, man, you, um, you've really messed up, You've got to say back to him, yeah, but I've never made a golden calf. And God forgave Aaron and put him in the priesthood, so therefore I can serve too. God loves to be gracious to sinful people who have blown it. And God loves to work through sinful people who have blown it, just like Aaron, just like you, just like me. But did you also notice that Moses, in the end, can't get near to God. Have a look at verse 34 of chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here is God in all his glory and Moses who have seen God face to face, can't, he can't get near. And so there's a sense in which this is a... Um, this kind of leaves the book of Exodus on, on, a, on a bit of a downer. Because God is there in their midst and yet Moses can't even get near him. We, we are expecting something greater than that and yet we do have something greater than that. In John chapter 1 verse 14, flip over to it with me. John chapter 1 verse 14. Here we see John talking about the Word who was Jesus. The Word who was God before the creation of the world. Have a look at verse 1 with me before we get to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word 
is God. But have a look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, and sorry, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you notice that? Uh, see that word, or, or those words, made His dwelling among us. The literal Greek is tabernacled among us. John is trying to say, hey, remember the book of Exodus. Remember where there was this, where God had tabernacled among them, but they couldn't get near because of his glory. Here in Jesus, God has come near. And notice, the, the glory in Exodus was the thing that, that kind of presented a barrier between Moses and God. Here, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son. See, God decided to become human, to reveal fully who he was. And, and so, so the, the end of the book of Exodus is kind of like a preview of something far better. I, re, I remember taking uh, my daughter Emma to the, fir, to the movies for the first time. And uh, I didn't tell her that, what movie we were going to see. Uh, we, went, we went and saw some kind of movie with penguins of from Madagascar or something like that. It wasn't that good. But anyway, um, well, and what was interesting is we sat down and the previews came on. My daughter's never gone to the movies before, right? Saw the preview and she stopped. She just was focused on this preview. She, and then once the preview was over, she turned to me and she said, Dad, that was so awesome. And then she got her stuff as if to go out. I said, no, 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 no. That, that's not the real thing. This is a preview of what is to come. And, and the book of Exodus ends with a preview of what is to come. That God is not just going to be behind a bunch of curtains in a tent. He's going to become a person and reveal himself. And he's going to die for his people. For people like Aaron for people like you and for people like me. But it even gets better than that. In 1 Corinthians 6, we are called, those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, are called temples of the Holy Spirit. That is, in the book of Exodus, God dwelt in a tent couldn't get near him. In the person of Jesus, God reveals himself and becomes human. And now because the Holy Spirit has come, God lives within you. It's far better than God just being in a tent. So, I mean, it would be pretty amazing to see that cloud, but you've got something so much better than that. God, yes, did go with his people. That's what the end of the Exodus account says. But God is always with you if you trust in the Lord Jesus. See, so many of us today want to know and encounter the divine. But if you're a Christian, the divine, God, is always with you. And here's why that's important. Some of us here are going through really, really, really hard times. Some of us here in the last week, last month, the last few years have had our lives ripped apart. 
Some of us here are, are beset with sins that uh, for years, maybe decades, that we haven't been able, to, been able to throw off. And yet, if you are struggling in those areas, God is still with you. He is still empowering you. He hasn't forsaken you or forgotten you. He is the God who came down to save his people in the book of Exodus. Save his people from the might of Egypt. He's the God who, who defeated the Egyptians. He is the God who parted the Red Sea. He is the God who, who uh, gave his people food and drink in the desert. He's the God who gave them a, a, a covenant, an agreement. They're meant to live that way. He's the God who, who said, even though you committed idolatry, I'm going to forgive you. He is the God who says, I'm going to set up this tabernacle so I can be near you in your midst. He is the God who came down in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And he's the God who, through the Holy Spirit, is living within you, empowering you to live for him. He is your God. And so as we finish up, the book of Exodus, remember that this is not some God that is watching us from a distance. This is not some God who we're wondering, is he for us? No, this is a God who has shown he is for us by, by becoming human, by tabernacling amongst us. This is a God who has shown he is for us by dying for us on the cross. This is the God who's shown he is for us by sending us his spirit so that he is always with us. That is the God of the book of Exodus. That is the God of the Bible. That is the God we serve. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the, the book of Exodus. Thank you that you are the, the same God those 3,000 odd years ago uh, as today. L Lord, help us to, to take our our, 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 our material possessions, our, our work, our skills that you've given us both to glorify you. Help us to, to remember that you are always with us, that you, by your grace and forgiveness, is always with us. I pray for those of us here for various reasons that just feel like you're far away. Lord, may, may us who are feeling that, may we preach what we've heard to our hearts. And may, our, may our hearts change. May our minds and wills change. May, may we be encouraged that you are always with us. You are always for us. You are always gracious to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. going to share in